Hi everyone and welcome back to the Making Milestones podcast. I thought that today's topic would be really timely and relevant um, and just something that would resonate with a lot of people. So today we're going to talk about guilt in horsemanship and how to kind of navigate that, where it comes from, how I've personally dealt with it, and what I think the course of action in dealing with it is. Uh, Because I personally think that a lot of people's like big like loud angry reactions to science-based horsemanship are coming from a place of guilt that they're not ready to accept like the information makes them feel guilty in their practices but instead of like feeling that managing it seeing where it comes from they choose to react with anger directed at the people who share such information because they take it as a personal attack so I think that this is a really important topic because honestly, I'd say the average horse person, like most people probably can name at least one scenario where they felt guilty. And if they can't, they likely are not being fully honest with themselves because here's the thing. The current state of the horse world makes it so that you're literally more likely to end up learning how to ride and handle horses in a place that's going to teach you how to handle them in an aggressive manner or where you're going to see management practices that are detrimental to the horse normalized than you are going to like a super holistic science-based approach place that also has all the management boxes checked off. There's way more of those traditional places than there are the science-based places that are starting to modernize and make the changes. So you are just statistically more likely to be brought up in the traditional aspect of the horse world. And now the problem with that is the fact that, first of all, it creates an echo chamber when there's so many people all doing the same wrong things. The sheer volume of people doing the wrong thing makes everyone think that it's righteous because they go, oh, there's no way this could be wrong if everyone's doing it. But no, a a loud majority of people just talking over top of science will do that to you. Um, And like the horse world is just so, so tradition based that it's really, really hard to get reason to be accepted when tradition is put first and foremost. Like, let's just look at even the whole like leading a horse from a left side thing. That's a tradition that people will literally like mock you for. If they see you leading from the right side, they'll be like, oh, like you're leading from the wrong side. You're doing it wrong, you idiot. Even though the whole left side thing stems back from when horses were used as like army horses and people were like mounting them with swords and weapons and they got on from the left side because typically they would have their weapons on their right hands and they'd use their left hand to grab the reins, hold the saddle, and then hoist themselves up. And that's why they did everything from the left side. Or like, I don't know which hand they were holding it in, but that's like the reason for the tradition. There is no scientific reason that you need to be on the left side of the horse. There's nothing that says you should only mount from the left side. And honestly, in a perfect world, you should probably alternate what sides you mount from because it would keep your horse more even bodied and would be nicer to them. But people are so rooted in tradition and it's habituated. Um to like how we do things day to day. Like I almost always get on from the left side. Like it's a habit that I have had drilled into me since I started riding at four years old, but I can acknowledge the fact that it serves no real relevant purpose and that getting on from the right side is not inherently wrong. But that's just an example of how silly tradition can be with horses. Now, before we get into the discussion, I need to plug my stuff so that I can make that bread, you know, like I gotta, I gotta use, since I never get ads or sponsors for this podcast, I'm sponsor myself and I try to sell my own products through the podcast. Um, I've added a bunch of new stuff to the store and there's going to be more winter stuff coming out soon as well. So highly recommend checking out my stuff. I have bridles, I have base layers, I have all sorts of sweaters. I have quarter zips, like sweaters. I have pullover oversized sweaters, retro inspired. I have like an immeasurable amount of colors of quarter zips like base layers and they are on sale right now I also have satin lined dad caps that are super cute and I have which you'll probably need soon because it's getting cold beanies or toques if you're Canadian I always say beanies because most of my following is American And there's been some Canadian lingo I've used around Americans and they all look at you and they're like what are you talking about So, to make sure that people know what I'm actually plugging, I will say beanies. So, 
check those out. You can go on milestoneequestrian.ca on the shop milestone page to shop those. You can also support me by subscribing to my Patreon channel where you can get early access to videos, behind the scenes training stuff, training help, live Q&As, training tutorials that are up there depending on what tier you choose. There's lots of options starting from $1 and everything helps. Like if you want to spend a dollar a month um, putting a dollar in my pocket and helping support my content, it is much appreciated. Every dollar helps and I dedicate a lot of time to doing these things and the more support I get from my other revenue streams, the more I can dedicate time to putting out like this free content to try to help horse people navigate problems in the industry and feel a little less alone because I think that's one of the biggest problems of the horse world with like people being more honest and like self-reflective and holding themselves accountable is how much bullshit there is in the industry and how much people lie and try to like mask their mistakes and pretend that they're more perfect than they are and online it's especially hard because people can be so nasty like even if you post like the perfect video ever there's always going to be one person who just needs to be a dick to you and it's a reflection of how they feel about themselves probably probably or whatever is going on in their life but they're choosing to direct it to you and that can cause you to feel pretty shitty so I think that kind of perpetuates the whole like underlying guilt and people's lack of ability to like properly navigate these things so then it makes it like easier in a way to lay into the denial of new information so that they don't have to like address that guilt and that's honestly the route that I took for quite some time because it was easier laying into and like accepting the guilt that I felt meant accepting why I felt it which meant accepting the fact that I had done something wrong and admitting to my mistakes which meant making myself vulnerable to a fairly large following online in addition to the horse community locally to me and potentially getting dogged for it and not knowing how it was going to be received and that fear of how it was going to be received led me to like micromanaging my content and being too afraid to like admit when I was wrong um, in situations where I felt like called out and being hyper defensive and it wasn't very healthy so it's something that I've really needed to practice and work on and honestly it's been like positively reinforcing to see people's reaction to that honesty because it's been more positive than any interactions I've had online. Like I've gotten way more positive feedback and way less hate comments since I started holding myself more accountable, being more honest with my mistakes, and just sharing the struggle that is being an equestrian and trying to constantly better yourself. I've been received better since doing that than I was trying to be perfect and act like I had it all sorted out. And that was ultimately what made me really comfortable with doing this more and more and more because it was so reinforcing and it was being received well. And I was able to connect with people who felt similar to me and help them feel less alone. And that is what I'm going to try to do in this podcast because I think that guilt is like a huge roadblock that stops people from being able to grow in ways that they otherwise would be able to grow. And it's really unfortunate because there's so many people who then have to sit in this perpetual discomfort that is being in denial of like your internal feelings and that guilt and that curiosity towards new information and not feeling fully invested in the current way that you're doing things. It's not a nice feeling. It wears you over time and it's exhausting and it eats away at you. And even though it's more manageable initially, like in the moment, then having to come to terms with certain levels of guilt and admit your wrongs, over time it does more damage by far. And there's a lot less positive outcomes with being in denial and just like stagnating and staying where you are out of fear of how it'll be received and out of fear of like having to like open up those parts of yourself, I guess. So for me, like just for a bit of background for people who haven't like listened to past podcasts, I grew up riding on the Arabian circuit and personally, in my opinion, breed circuits are some of the worst in terms of sticking to tradition and normalizing really harmful practices because they're like the epitome of an echo chamber, more so than like the rated show circuit because at least like open breed shows have a little bit more diversity, even if they still are very like in entrenched in the way they do things. But breed circuits take it to a next level. So the level of abuse that I saw be condoned and tolerated at shows versus what I see now at rated shows that are open breed shows 
was a lot higher in Arabian horses. Like I have a distinct memory of like one of my old trainers. This is after I switched trainers at this point, but I was watching her in the warm up and she's warming up a Western pleasure horse. It was this like really nice looking gray Arabian and she had spurred it so much that there was patches like the size of like CD discs. If youngsters still know what those look like, um, like literal like computer discs sized wounds like open skin like pink kind of bloody skin um completely rubbed raw on both of his sides like both sides not just even one side both and the horse was gray so it was so noticeable and even still she was able to take him into the arena and place in a class and I like unless the judge literally had no eyeballs in their head there was no way they did not notice it and in order to judge a class where they have to watch the horses I'm sure that their eyeballs were in their sockets so they saw it they didn't care um that's just one example. Uh, it was also very common to like tie horses' heads in really tight and do like the whole roll cur thing, um, like knee horses in the stomach when they bloated for girthing up, reefing on their mouth for any old thing that pissed you off. And I was encouraged to do all of this from the age of four onward. And not just the barn that I was at, like the whole show circuit normalized these behaviors to me to such an extent that I was not able as a child to reflect on the wrongs of it. And my mom had also grown up showing Arabs. So again, she started in the circuit as a child and was surrounded by all of these norms, like not turning horses out, not like being gentle in training, forcing their heads in, not caring about proper connection and carriage, just worrying about the speed at which you achieve the whole curled in head thing. So to her also, it was really normalized. But even then, there was things that she was uncomfortable with and she would ask about and take issue with. But then she was made to feel stupid by trainers and made to feel like she knew nothing. So then eventually you stop asking. And I learned the same thing because as a child, I had like an inherent curiosity about things and a really big desire to learn. So I would question all sorts of things. And if sometimes I asked a question that like was a little too pointed and deep and started to drive into an area that the trainer didn't want to actually address, I was just told to like just do what I was told and I didn't get my question answered. So that's the kind of echo chamber that I grew up in. And that's kind of like how I like became what I didn't want to become in terms of my treatment to horses. And unpacking that especially for like how long it has actually taken me to like put all that work in because it, it's kind of started to like unravel at different points like when I switched trainers I bettered my horsemanship a little bit it still wasn't great because I was still showing Arabians um and doing it the, like the way that everyone else was in the industry because of what was winning and hyperflexed horses were winning um but the trainer was a little softer and less condoning of like abuse to horses. So that was a little bit better. And then when I took a break from the Arab circuit, a very long break in that I still haven't gone back, but we'll get to that point. I moved my horse to a barn where he was going to be out on group turnout on 20 acres 24-7. And that was like a huge change and shift in the way I did things. It happened when I was 14 which is 13 years ago almost now. Um, but yeah, so it was a huge shift because I literally watched my horse, like the horse that I'd had for several years and had all these issues with him spooking at everything. He would bolt. He was difficult to handle sometimes. Like he always had decent ground manners and like would tie and all that jazz and he was really good about that stuff. But under saddle, he's very spooky and bolty and would get like strong sometimes. And it was just very unusual to have like even a single ride go by where he's not spooking um, at the same thing every time. But then as soon as he was turned out, all that stuff stopped. Suddenly he was like beginner safe. I was able to start teaching a friend's child how to ride on him. I was able to enjoy him way more because he was so much happier. And that stark change was something that was like done in a way that I could not ignore it. Like I couldn't shrug it off. I couldn't take out my personal like attachment to the situation because it was my horse and I literally watched it before my eyes and nothing had changed about how I rode him or handled him the only thing that had changed was the management so then I was kind of just like wait a second I've been told my whole life that like horses are happy in stalls that the stall paddock thing is like how show horses needed to be taken care of that they didn't like going outside because they were aggressive to other horses in their stalls and I'd been 
taught to think that horses didn't need that extra space, that it didn't matter, that it didn't impact the behaviors, and that the issues I was dealing with were training issues that I needed to handle by getting mad at my horse and punishing him. And then suddenly I made one change that's only specific to management and all of these quote-unquote training issues I was dealing with stopped entirely. So then that's kind of when the ball started to unravel first because I was like, wait, like at least one thing I was told was a lie. And then it was just like, I was like, okay, hold up, hold up. You, you like, uh, excuse me? Like I, I paid for, my parents paid for lessons for years to try to fix these training issues and problems I was having with horses. And before I got my own horse, when they were like the lesson horses or horses I leased, sometimes I would get blamed for how they were reacting when it was very similar things and they were living in similar management styles where they weren't getting turned out. I was made to feel shitty for behavior that was caused directly by management. And then behavior within my own horse, I was blamed for too and told just to like do these things to train it out of him. And sometimes it would address it for like that ride, maybe a few rides after, but we were always perpetually having to correct these things that should have been corrected if we were actually doing the root, addressing the root cause of them. So having my horse suddenly just do a complete 180 when... It was a pretty big shift in management, mind you, because he went from like being in a stall probably from like in the winter time, like 3 p.m. until 8 a.m. in the morning, and then just in like a small dry paddock with nothing to do for like the rest of the time, to being out 24-7 year-round, even in the rain. And we used to do no rain turnout with Arabian show horses, because I guess people think they're made of like freaking sugar or like something that will melt in the rain. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that was a very normal thing. Can't let my like shiny show horse get uh, rained on because you never know what will happen then. Um, but it was it was a big shift in management and it brought a huge shift in my horse and that was like super eye-opening. So then I started to get curious and look more into things that I wouldn't have even known to search for before that because I'd been taught that like that these issues didn't exist and that they wouldn't be corrected by the changes that I made. Like, I was taught to not even consider these things, and when you're taught that way, like, how do you even start to, like, unravel and, like, like, search what you're looking for? Like, if you don't even know what you're looking for is called or you don't even know that it exists, how are you supposed to look for the information on that? You don't even know where to start, and you're already growing up in an echo chamber where you're surrounded by tons of other like-minded people who are all telling you the same thing. So it's very suffocating, and it's very hard to break free from. And back then, when social media was not as big, it was even harder because I didn't have the same access to knowing how to find studies and, like, all of these horse Facebook groups and stuff to go on where information is shared freely it wasn't like that until honestly like horse Facebook groups there wasn't like there's so many now like it's ridiculous but like Facebook was just starting out when I was like 12 13 and it was very basic and there was groups but there wasn't anywhere near the variety of like niche groups specific to horse people that are all about like sharing specific forms of information so I didn't have access to that to the same extent I was very reliant on people around me and it made it so that I couldn't really grow as a rider because they were teaching me things that were not facilitating my growth. So with that in mind, even though I did some not nice things to horses over the years, like especially during the time on the Arab circuit, that would have been when it was at its worst because I would like get mad at my Arabian and since I'd been taught by my trainer that like when he was being bad that he was just being like a shit and that I needed to discipline him because he can't get away with it. If I didn't know how to deal with the situation, sometimes and I'd get frustrated, I would take it out on him. Like, I would reef on his mouth. I would seesaw like I was taught. I would kick him. I didn't usually ride him with a whip because he didn't need one, so I didn't, like, spank him with the whip. But, like, I would be kicking him. I rode him in spurs at shows. And at least, like, I don't, I don't recall freaking kicking him with spurs, but if I did, oh my god, I need to drop kick little me. Um... But I would do all these things where I had been offered a very easy outlet for my frustration and that outlet was taking it out on my horse physically. And I'd been encouraged in doing this. I'd been taught that I was doing the right thing 
I'd been taught that this is how you undid unwanted behaviors. So that to me justified the reaction, even if my reaction would become more and more inflated, the more frustrated and angry I got. And it never solved the situation. It never fixed the problem I was having with my horse. It honestly just made it worse. And I feel so horrible about this still. Like he, he did not deserve what I did to him. And even even all of with all of the mistreatment that he endured management and training wise, he still was so friendly and nice to people and lovely to handle. And like, that's the most amazing thing about horses is that they can endure so much, but then forgive and forget and move on. And so like, I like, yeah, I'm tearing up. Like, I definitely still have guilt for how I treated him because like, I haven't had him to like at any point to like rectify anything I've done wrong and he would have been the horse that I've done the most wrongs to but I haven't like had him back in my life or owned him consistently like I have with Milo where even though I did wrongs to Milo I still have him and I can still see him and I can go out there and if I'm ever feeling guilty about something that I did I can handle him differently and make his life better now But with my Arabian, I don't have that chance because I sold him when I was like 15 or 16. Um, And yeah, I still feel terrible about what I did and especially knowing like how nice of a horse he was and how much he forgave and how he didn't let the treatment of him sour him or turn him into something like awful. Like he, even with all the stalling he did, he never cribbed, he never weaved, he was never aggressive. He never even, like, resource guarded in fields to other horses, even though he was so poorly socialized for most of his life. Like, he was so, so good. And it makes me really sad because, like, if I'd made those changes earlier, he would have been an even better horse. Um, and now, like, he he's going to be 25 in uh, January if he's still around. Um And (laughs) I've been trying to find him and track him down, actually, because I wanted to see if whoever has him, if they're not wanting to or willing to retire him. I have the field space space now where I could. Um, So I want to try to find where he is to give them that offer. I tried to contact the last boarding facility that he was at within the last two years. um, And he's moved from there since then. So I don't know where he is currently, but I asked them to pass off the information if they find out where he is and if the owners are interested in talking to me and then said that like I would like to offer him a place to retire if they're not able to do that um and that would kind of be my way of like apologizing to him but yeah, like, I was horrible to him, and I wanted to share like specifics of like, yeah, getting mad and reefing on his mouth because it was something that I deliberately did out of the anger that I was feeling, but it was the result of what I had been conditioned and taught to do. And especially with like having ADHD and like poor emotional control, having that outlet be conditioned into and so readily available without any recourse, no one telling you to stop escalating it to such an extent, no one telling you that it's not okay for so many years in addition to seeing your role models do the same things or worse to their horses it makes it very easy to start to justify it and like honestly I wouldn't feel good after it but like I couldn't at that point really nail down why I didn't feel good I didn't take it as like oh I feel guilty for being mean to my horse I just thought that I was frustrated with the situation and I didn't feel good about our progress in riding because the progress and like constant growth and like winning ribbons and stuff was what was prioritized to me not like time spent with the horse making sure your horse is not stressed and like really just enjoying the process none of that was stressed to me like the whole things about like status going to shows having a nice horse getting their head in to look pretty and nice keeping them clean and like blanketed and clipped all the time so that they look nice and basically just treating them like a glorified doll that's what I had normalized to me from the time I was four onwards and like as guilty as I feel still and as much as like I I have a very big tendency to like blame myself and be really hard on myself but like if I was looking at any other four-year-old child who was taught what I was taught to do there's no way I could look at a four-year-old and go this is your fault, you should have known better. And when you watch that four-year-old get conditioned over the course of years and eventually become a teenager, that childhood conditioning sticks with you. And we see that 
with all sorts of concepts, like not just the horse world. Like kids who are taught to be intolerant by their parents, it's much harder for them to stray away from being intolerant. And really the best way for them to do that is by connecting with peers that'll tell them like, hey, this is not right. But I didn't even have those peers because I was in such an echo chamber. Like I had no one to check me. I had no information online that I came across to really check what I was doing and be like, no. There was just like encouragement for this violence. And then having that be like such an easy outlet for my frustration and like I would get frustrated pretty easily because first of all I was taught to I watched people lose their patience on horses all the time and then I also had a difficult time controlling emotions because of ADHD but in addition to that I was dealing with all sorts of trauma and like bad stuff happening as a kid that like really impacted me and hurt me more than I would probably like admit to at the time and I couldn't connect my reactions to some things and like how elevated they would be to all of the stuff that was going on around me because I hadn't been taught to do that. I hadn't been taught to look at like outside factors that don't occur at the same time as the unwanted behavior as being leading up to causing it. Like I didn't know about trigger stacking or like any of that stuff at this time, even in reference to myself. So I couldn't connect my big reactions that led me to taking it out on the horse to other outside frustrations that I was then using my horse as an outlet to try to release that frustration. I didn't have the ability to do that. And I had no one to check me in. Like, honestly, like, it's been such a long journey that has, like, also included, like, going to therapy and starting to learn more about, like, human mental health has also been really helpful in this process because it's helped me, first of all, learn how to be more forgiving and less hard on myself and also teach me more skills on how to navigate uncomfortable feelings and, like, how the brain works and, like, what's actually happening when you feel a certain way, Um, as well as, like, how children learn and how what you learn as a kid sticks with you as an adult because there's this perception that a lot of people put out in the horse world that like you should have known better at any like that like children should hold themselves accountable like they should know better and not do that and it puts blame on someone who is the victim of bad role models who taught them how to do things incorrectly and I still believe that once you get older like once you're like not a child and like you're an adult or you're in your teens you are still more able to hold yourself accountable and you should be held more accountable at that age than you would as like a real youngster but not taking into account and factoring in how that early conditioning changes people's perception is doing all of those people a disservice and it makes it harder for them to make the changes needed because you're singling them out, blaming them completely, and making them feel ashamed of everything they've done and leaving them to deal with that shame completely on their own. And that's not fair because it doesn't take into account how this actually happened. It frames it as like people who are being unkind to their horses are simply doing it out of like the sheer desire to be mean and that they like get off from hurting a horse. It doesn't take into account all of the conditioning that leads to that point. Like it's not that all of these people are just mean nasty people who enjoy hurting animals. Many of them are animal lovers and horse lovers and are highly empathetic people but that empathy has become so skewed because they've been taught not to have it in so many situations specific to horses from the very beginnings of their riding career. And I'm going to apply this even to teens and adults who started riding later in life because when you're green to the industry and you're with people who are self-proclaimed professionals, you trust what they say. And even if you don't trust it and you you're confused and you're like, hey, like this doesn't feel right and you start to question it, a lot of trainers make you feel like a complete piece of shit for doing that and they'll ridicule you and basically be like, don't question me, you don't know what you're talking about, you're new here, like once you once you know more about horses, you'll get it and they make you feel ashamed for questioning them. So then eventually you learn not to question and to just do and this even happens to adults. If you're the odd one out because you're new to the industry and you are feeling like you're green and you don't understand stuff and you don't know very much about horses, you are much more likely to defer to the opinion of someone who appears to know what they are doing. And you don't know what is bad and what is good to such a degree where you can easily differentiate between that. So you take their word for it, even as an adult. And this is why people need a little bit more support and understanding 
in like the journey to like undoing this because I had so much shame in what I did that I was honestly like embarrassed to share it and it still kind of haunts me now because I'm just like like I don't know like what if like like I like I don't like I didn't want people to know how I treated my horse but I think it's important to say because it normalizes the idea that you can do really really wrong things when you were taught that wrong is right and it doesn't reflect on who you are as a person when you're trying to make all of these changes because the first step is recognizing that it is wrong in the first place and the problem with like the insidious nature of being trained to handle horses in this highly aggressive way that is so normalized in the industry is that when you've gotten habits formed and you have like the spur of the moment habit where it's like you've been taught to hit horses for biting so anytime they try to investigate you with their noses or mouths you just like whap your hand and it's just like reflexive you've been taught and had that ingrained into you for so many days months and years that it takes a lot of like self-reflection and like learning how to pause before that moment where you just react to undo that So even as you start to want to make these changes, there's going to be times where you lose patience and make mistakes because as soon as you start going into like fight or flight mode, you're not thinking rationally and it's a lot easier to regress to things that are easier and more comfortable, especially as you're trying to make the change to a completely different approach in training that you're still new to and you don't necessarily know how to problem solve everything with. It makes it easier to go back to what is comfortable, which is why you see so many people who try to adapt their methods and use like positive reinforcement but go about it in the wrong way go back to the way they used to do things and say that positive reinforcement doesn't work and they use that as a reason to justify using excess punishment because it didn't work for them but it's easier to go back to what is comfortable and also when people are making you feel like you need to just cold turkey snap out of what could be decades of conditioning of handling horses a, a certain way and just be able to suddenly stop doing that and adapt a different way completely without making any mistake then it makes it really hard to be in the industry because you feel guilty and you feel like you are a shit horse person if you even make a mistake. And I know that a lot of what I say in post can probably lead people to feel guilty. Um, and I get that. But like my main thing is accountability. If someone has a video that they post of them beating the shit out of their horse or something and I share it and I'm like, yo, this is not okay. This is, this doesn't, this isn't productive. It doesn't help. And they were to go, you know, you're right. I lost my patience and I shouldn't be glorifying this treatment of horses. I would applaud the shit out of that because that is a huge show of self-reflection and accountability. And what bothers me the most is not the abusive actions themselves, but how people lay into defending them and refuse to self-reflect on them. Because that lack of self-reflection and that lack of holding yourself accountable is actually the real problem. The issue of doing cruel things that you were taught to do by self-proclaimed professionals, that's not the ingrained, entrenched issue. It's the lack of accountability for everyone in the horse world. Because if we had more self-reflection and accountability, things could not get to such a point. So I think that what we need to move towards wanting is less so perfection and more so accountability because holding yourself accountable and being open to new information is how you experience growth and the lack of accountability and the way horse people cling to tradition and deny science and just look for confirmation bias is what perpetuates all of this abuse and makes it so easy to continue and what makes like masses and masses of horse people able to defend abusive videos where horses are struggling and freaking out because they've been so indoctrinated and desensitized to that high level of stress that they can no longer empathize and relate to it and really see what the horse is going through in those times. They've been taught not to see stress for what it is. So what is required is like literally a complete re-education. And that re-education starts with self-reflection and holding yourself accountable. And self-reflection and holding yourself accountable is really hard to do consistently. Like 
let's let's use a human relationship example. All of us probably have some type of toxic behavior or something that we've done wrong at some point that was not okay, where we mistreated other people and hurt their feelings. All of us probably have a story like that at some point. How you respond to that and grow and better yourself as a person afterwards says more about you as a person than the action itself, in my opinion. Because, for example, someone could bully people in school, but then if they go to therapy, address whatever was causing them to react in such a way, and then start to not bully anymore and get healthier coping mechanisms, it wouldn't be fair to label them as a bully forevermore. And what I find is that a lot of the science-based approach people, they have a lot of empathy for horses who are reacting in aggressive ways due to their frustration with their environment and their training, but they're not as good at considering humans doing the same thing. And now what I'm going to say is that being frustrated and reacting to your environment when you're having a tough go at life, does not justify animal abuse. It does not justify it whatsoever. It can explain what motivated the response. It can explain why people go to those legs, but it does not make the action itself okay. But with that in mind, when we're talking about an industry that has the level of indoctrination and misinformation as the horse world, we need to take that into account because a lot of people feel empowered to react in those ways because they've been allowed to consistently from the start of their riding career. Not only that, they've seen other people doing the same things and it being accepted and applauded and encouraged. So it makes it very easy to engage in that as a frustration response. But The key is, again, back to accountability and self-reflection. If someone can hold themselves accountable and go, you know, yeah, I lost my temper in that moment, that is already a step towards change. It's not about the absence of ever making a mistake. It's about how you react to those mistakes and how you start to handle them because it will not happen cold turkey all at once. Like if you have grown up using punishment tactics with horses your whole life, and have gotten comfortable with punishing any unwanted behavior and just reacting with frustration and handling horses aggressively, if that's the nature of the training you've always engaged in, it is completely unreasonable to assume that as soon as you start to know a better way and start to self-reflect that you'll just seize any use of that whatsoever because it is habitual. So even the habits formed could result in you having emotions that drive your response and cause you to treat horses in such a way, in a way that has been encouraged and ingrained into you as a person. And what it's really about is getting self-reflective enough to catch yourself before you get your fight going into fight or flight mode and get your energy level up to such a degree where you are already engaged in the response. It's about catching it before it gets to that point. And that's why I brought up the reference of like human to human relationships. Like let's talk about siblings. Um, I grew up in a pretty hostile house for like sibling relationships and like unhealthy toxic behavior, like screaming matches, shouting, really shitty stuff, like name calling, really mean stuff, being treated like garbage after fights, you know, the like. And It's really easy when you've grown up in that toxic environment to sink back into it, especially when you're surrounded by that same level of vitriolic toxicity and you're not necessarily the one who quote-unquote started the fight. Someone else might come in and provoke you. And in the same vein, your horse, in their behavior, their unwanted behavior, may provoke a reaction. But the point of personal growth is to bring yourself back down to equilibrium before you are provoked to the point where you do something you regret. And that takes practice. It's not going to happen immediately. It takes practice. And that's why I wanted to do this podcast because I wanted to put this out there for people to learn and hear so that they don't feel as ashamed and guilty to the point where they regress and go back to the comfort zone that is more detrimental to their horse because they don't feel heard or accepted in the horse world. Abuse to horses and bad training methods need to be called out because people need to be held accountable and the information needs to be put out there to counteract how many videos there are of highly stressed horses being mistreated. And I stand by that. So I'm going to continue to respond to videos that depict unkind treatment to horses and talk about why it's unkind and why we need to sway away from that. But that doesn't mean that I think that the people within those videos are unable to be fixed or that there's no ability for them to become better. No, anyone can. It starts with 
accountability and you have to practice that accountability again and again. It's not just going to be like where you decide, wow, I was a dick to my horses and then all of a sudden you're just no longer ever doing it again. No, you have to commit to the self-reflection and accountability again and again. And sometimes it'll be after a training session where you're like, wow, I kept that going for too long and I caused my own problems that frustrated me because I pushed the horse too much. And then after that, the next session you have, you can go, okay, these were the mistakes I made last time. So I'm not going to make those mistakes this time. And then you'll start to see how well that works for your horse and how much change you'll see in the horse following those decisions. And then that reinforces the changes that you're making in yourself and encourages you to keep doing them. But it starts with that self-reflection. And even now, with how much my practices have softened and adapted from where I was, like it is not recognizable. I've been thinking about it because it's like the way I would handle unwanted behavior, like I would have ruined all of the nice horses that I've had in the last several years if I trained them how I used to ride my Arabian. I would have ruined them. And even still, I stagnated Milo's growth and his ability to continue improving. And I also like broke his hooves and made him lame with my lack of ability to self-reflect and my desire to stick to tradition and the trust that I put into the people who had taught me all these things. But now what it's all about is like, if I take my horse out and we don't have a good training session, after that training, even if it's something related to the environment, just spooking them and nothing that I've done to like provoke a reaction from them, then after that session, I sit there and I think to myself, what can I plan for next time to try to fix the behaviors that frustrated me? Because it is frustrating to work with horses, especially when they're behaving dangerously or they're not doing what you want. But instead of just getting mad at the horse, you can go, what can I do to make this easier for them? And as soon as you start doing that, you not only actually find solutions to your problems, but it takes away the anger that you feel because you're not taking their reaction so personally. You look at them and go, they're just reacting to the environment. They just feel misunderstood. They, they just need someone to help them out a little. Sorry, I probably sound all congested now because I was crying. So um, excuse me, but we're almost there. Uh, it, it's just about leveling with them and recognizing the fact that like horses do not personally attack you. They're not going to do stuff maliciously. And our choice as humans to take their reactions as malicious behavior is our shortcoming as a person not the horses, because we are choosing to take a flight animal's flight reaction personally. And the fact of the matter is, like, the horse's brain is wired as such that, like, oftentimes when they have big flight reactions where they don't seem to, like, look out for us or watch out for us or they behave dangerously, it's because the brain has found a threat and horses are taught to like like not taught but like their brain will sometimes if the threat is like categorized as big enough their body will react to the threat before their brain actually processes what the threat is and to try to soften that reaction to not be a big reaction means you have to start addressing little triggers and bringing the stress level down to a minimum and teach them that you're safe to be around so that instead of a big reaction, you just start getting like a flinch and then they flinch in space and they look at you and they're like, what do I do now? And then you help them. But if you have built a repu a, a relationship with your horse where when they're scared, they get in trouble, you've taught them to not communicate with you. You've taught them that they cannot go to you for comfort. So then when something happens that really scares them, the safest thing for them and their brain is to leave that situation because you're not a safe place. And I can speak like this is going to be an anecdote, but also there are studies that support that horses who are more relaxed are significantly less dangerous. But I don't just have calmer horses. The reason why they react to things the way they do and I don't get as big of reactions is because of the changes that I've made in training. Go back on my YouTube and watch all the old videos of me taking Milo to shows and how stressed he was. I would never stand for that now because I would be ashamed to continue pushing him through that and it's not productive. It wouldn't, it never got me to where I wanted to go. 
He only really started to improve when I actually started to address his stress for what it was and stopped putting myself and my show goals first. It wasn't the result of like my punishment or negative reinforcement high pressure training where I was ignoring what he was telling me. It's not a result of that working. It's a result of the shifts that I have made as my in my management and my training. And that is ultimately what has changed him. But go back and look at some of those videos and you will see the degree of his reaction. Like he was brought, like we, we got followers and attention because of how well I could sit his freakouts. But they happened way too much and escalated to such a degree that like I could have handled it better. I should have gotten off of him at that point and worked with him on the ground and helped him feel safer instead of just trying to push him through what was like emotional turmoil and nerves at that point. And I have a lot of regrets about that because I think that I could have helped him navigate that part more. And like as a horse who was starved and wouldn't have had the proper growing up that a healthy horse would have. He was even more stunted, not only in his growth, but in like his developmental stages mentally. And I wasn't sensitive enough to that. And it was unfair to him. And I can't go back in time and stop the mistakes that I did. And I, if I could, I would have. But also, I think that I needed to have a horse like him in order to ultimately make the changes that I have. Like, I needed to have a Milo to really open my eyes to what I was doing wrong and to have a horse that's, like, that honest with how they're feeling. But, like, it wasn't fair to him. And that's the thing is, like, I don't have to defend every aspect of my training in order to feel like a good rider or trainer. Like, it's okay to make mistakes. The best riders and trainers are ones who can recognize when they've made a mistake, not the ones who claim they've never made one. Thinking you've never made a mistake or viewing it as weakness to admit to making mistakes is weakness in itself. That shows you have too much of an ego and that you're very insecure and that you view holding yourself accountable as like damaging your reputation and it's not. I still make mistakes. There's times where I mark behaviors at the wrong time or too late or where I push a session a little too long and I don't get to finish it on as good of a note. But the difference between my mistakes now and my mistakes back then is that I don't have horses who are like lathered in sweat and like bronching and completely out of their minds in stress to anywhere near the same degree now. Like, I can't even remember the last time I had a big flight reaction on a horse where they actually, like, took off bronching or, like, did something really dangerous and over the top to anywhere near the same extent as videos that I posted over the course of years with Milo. I can't even remember it. So, like, my mistakes now are, like, okay, like, I pushed that session a little too long. They lost interest. They're not as into the session. Or, oh, my horse is less motivated today. Like, I wish I could have motivated them better in this session. Or stuff like that. Or maybe, like, not being able to control the environment enough, choosing to do something new with them, and then having the environment stress them to a point that makes the training session less productive. The mistakes that I make are less damaging to my relationship with the horses and it's less damaging to their emotional state because they're easier to come back with. I can bring them back down to equilibrium way easier now than I could with the way I previously handled them. So while I still make mistakes, my mistakes aren't as damaging. They're not damaging my relationship with my horses. They're not damaging their soundness to the same degree as the mistakes that I would have made back then. And they're mistakes that are made with a lot better intentions than the ones that I did before. Because prior to like more recent years, a lot of my goals in riding were centered around getting into shows, like looking a certain way, jumping big jumps, and doing stuff mostly for like the attention of other people rather than like what I actually wanted to do and what I was comfortable with and what my horses wanted to do. I was obsessed with like putting on this persona to make people think that I like was a great rider and trainer that I lost the actual point of it all in the process. And I'm now finally coming back to that. And I've realized that like to some people, it makes my content a lot less, <laughs> a lot less interesting to listen to. Um, because I'm no longer jumping big fences all the time or like pushing horses through things or having big exciting bronc fits to use as like clickbait and stuff. I don't have that stuff happen to the same degree and if it did happen it would probably be because of one really big trigger rather than me pushing through a bunch of little triggers until a horse just completely lost it. 
and I would be very embarrassed about it. So it wouldn't be posted with the same glorified intent as it was back then. But I, I lost the point of it all in the process. Like trading is a journey, not a destination. I was always focused on the destination, which meant I could never meet my horse where they were. I could never meet them where they needed to be met. I could never help them in the moment because I was always looking at the destination and wanting to push it that much further to get there what I thought would be sooner. But then I ended up extending the amount of time it took me. Like if I had been less stubborn about recognizing hoof care stuff and learning about that and had an easier time pushing back against farriers, Milo would have been doing a lot more by now because he would have been sounder and he wouldn't have had so much damage to his hooves and structural damage to like his musculature that he now needs to completely rehab because now he's standing completely differently. He's on different feet now. So now I have to basically completely restart him and recondition him to function with the body that he has now because his body was functioning with so much like, like deformity that he had to build muscle in accordance with that. And now he's standing differently. So now I have to take the time to do that. Um, and even with Banksy, like when I was focused on the destination before, I guarantee you I would have started him this year easily. And like with Milo, I sat on Milo when he was like two and a half, even though it had no function in his training whatsoever. It was just because I wanted to. And mind you, sitting on a two and a half year old one time for like a couple of minutes, it's not going to be the end of the world, but it's just unnecessary. Like it's an indicator of a bigger problem, which is not being able to slow down and prioritizing the wrong things. And for every person who only actually sits on that two and a half year old one time, there's lots who want to push for more after that. And while I didn't ride him more at two, even though I sat on him, the ways that I rushed him were indicative in other situations where I pushed him harder than I should have. So that little, like that little thing of sitting on him at two and a half, the event in itself is not that big of a deal, but it showed a pervasive issue that I went on to struggle with for quite some time after that. And it was an issue that started like when I was first riding. So yeah, like it, it's a journey, not a destination. Training's a journey, not a destination. Self-reflection's a journey, not a destination. Years from now, I'm probably going to be criticizing things that I do now and being like, wow, I wish I'd done that differently. But that's what growth is. I've had people call me a hypocrite for calling out things that I used to accept, but no, that's what growth is. You're not a hypocrite for growing past things that you've realized are no longer okay and choosing to not stand by them anymore and choosing to move past that and continue growing and bettering yourself. You're not a hypocrite when you do that. You're a hypocrite if you say that it's a bad thing and then continue to do it and then put on a persona where you're doing things that you're not. Yeah, that, that's hypocritical, but growth is not hypocritical. Previously making bad mistakes and then moving on and learning and doing better when you've learned that that's not the way to do things and holding yourself accountable, not hypocritical. But that's what accountability is. Like even throughout the journey, like if you lose your patience with a horse and you can recognize that and look at it and see it for what it is, you're still not a hypocrite because you are holding yourself accountable. You're recognizing you had a lapse in judgment and you are continuing on your path to bettering yourself and you're not condoning it. You would be a hypocrite if you go, I like ethical horse training and then go and beat your horse and go, yeah, that was a fine reaction. There's nothing wrong with that. I didn't overreact. It was totally suitable for what I was dealing with. That would be hypocritical because then you're justifying a behavior that you're claiming to no longer stand by. And that's the other thing is like there's so much nuance in horse training too that like there's things that I do not condone with my personal horses. Like for example, under no circumstances would I ever need to use a lip chain with any of my horses. Not happening. No. And even a twitch at this point, unless it was for a vet procedure, hard no. Anything else, I can teach them how to deal with if I condition them. It would have to be for an emergency procedure. That's the only way I could condone it. But if I'm at the racetrack and I'm handling a horse who has been in a stall 24 hours a day, 
and is trying to freaking kick me in the head. In that circumstance, if I have to for safety, like I'll try to just use the nose chain. But if they are being too dangerous to handle, in that situation, I will use a lip chain if I absolutely have to, but I know it's hurting them. I know it's not the best course of action. I know exactly what factors would need to be addressed to make the lip chain unnecessary, but I'm not in control of those changes because it's not my horse. And I'm merely doing what I can need to do to keep myself safe in the moment. So that's the thing too. Like when you're working with other people's horses or you're leasing horses or you're riding lesson horses and you're not in control of their care, you can only hold yourself accountable for what you are directly responsible for. You cannot hold yourself accountable or feel guilty for lapses in care or training that are at the hands of other people. You can feel bad for the horse. You can empathize for, for with the horse. You can be sad that that's the situation, but you should not be taking on the accountability for someone else's decisions because it is not your fault. And when you don't own the horse, it is really, really hard because there's things that you can see and you can know are wrong, but ultimately you cannot change. And it's so ingrained in the horse world too that it's just like it, the solution isn't always just like, oh, go find a different barn because generally speaking, these problems are stuff that you'll see arise at any barn in borders or the lesson horses or with certain trainers. Odds are you're going to see things that you don't necessarily agree with and you can't hold yourself accountable for that when it's like an industry-wide issue and you've already done the work in not supporting it and recognizing that those things are bad and going, I don't want to personally contribute to that by doing these things. But if you can't control the horse's management and you need to keep yourself safe, I would say in those settings to do that. Like, um, like when I was galloping racehorses and like hot walking racehorses, I, what I would do is like risk, um, or not risk. I would try to do harm reduction. So for example, if I was leading a difficult horse, I would lead them with a nose chain and try to help self-soothe and calm them down with other tactics rather than putting a lip chain on right away like many people at the track will do. Or when I'm galloping them, if they are really, really pent up energy wise and are wanting to play, I let them like kind of get their kicks out in a safe way and try to give them an outlet for that even though I know the actual cause of the problem is the lack of turnout. Or when a horse does something like propping at the gate at the racetrack, instead of beating them with a whip, I'm like, no, let's wait. I'm not going to use a whip. I still hold one with me because most instruct most trainers don't want you to not hold a whip on a two-year-old or for gate training. So I'll hold it and I'll, I'll pretend, but I'm not going to hit them with it because uh, they're they're learning. I don't agree with that. And that's how I do harm reduction. And even with riding two-year-olds, I don't agree with it. However, I know for a fact that they're going to get started anyways. Whether or not I participate, they're going to get started. But if I can help handle them and do it in a kinder way and make that introduction to a harsh industry easier, then I am reducing harm. I'm producing horses who are quieter happier and easier to handle, meaning they are less likely to undergo abuse. So I personally think that the harm reduction is worthwhile, whereas some people might take the tone that you should just completely boycott all industries. But I try to see it as like a path, like a linear path to betterment of the industry. What can I do in this immediate future to do the things I want. I can't immediately change the racing age in a multi-billion dollar industry. I can advocate for it like I do, but I can't just change it. I can make the lives of the horses that I do encounter better, and that's what I do. And the filly that I started under saddle for the racetrack has been winning almost every race she went in. She's the easiest horse in the paddock, super calm to lead around in the paddock, and is super good with the pony and it means that she doesn't have to undergo as much harshness because she's not reacting fearfully as much. She's easier to handle so people are way more gentle with her. I did her a service in starting her because if she got started by someone who did things the more traditional way it would have been a lot more stressful and less rewarding. I started her almost completely from the ground and did a lot of long lining and ground driving and getting her used to stuff like that and then broke her to the mounting block and then ponied her off of like another horse for a while and I tried to stay on her back for as minimal time as possible 
And it paid off because she is way calmer than the vast majority of horses at the racetrack. Like, the classiest two-year-old out there in the races her first year, and then her second year as a three-year-old, same thing. Like, just an overall really nice horse who I personally think I benefited her life. People can say what they will, and people can say I just do it for the money or whatever. I don't care. I know for a fact that I make horses' lives better by getting willing parties to let me do things my way training-wise and to produce a horse for an industry that they'll go into whether I start them or not, but get them to be introduced into that industry in a better way. And if I want positive reinforcement to start being more accepted in racing, the only way I can do it is by showing that it works because that filly went on to win a big stakes race at our little track. And in the article they published on her, they shouted, her owners shouted me out and said that she had been trained with positive reinforcement. And she's winning. She's, it's proving that it works and that it'll bring you good results. And I don't think that hurts the industry at all. Like, I don't think I contribute to any hurt in the industry by doing what I did. So I think that's the importance of nuance is you have to kind of judge the best way to handle any specific situation and obviously it should still be within your comfort zone because I know a lot of people just don't want to be involved with racing and that's totally fine. I personally think the industry could be one of the more ethical industries if it makes the needed changes and obviously there's a lot of change that needs to be made but all horse industries are behind and I'm kind of an optimistic person I guess in that I hope that the necessary change will be made. And I want to be a part of making that change and do the steps that I can personally to help contribute to that. So that's why I use my platform to talk about issues in addition to try to promote different methods of training and show that they actually work. Because for a lot of people that deny that that rewards-based training works, they need to see it work to believe it. And the only way they're going to do that is if people are out there showing them. So that's what I'm trying to do in what I like talk about and like with these podcasts is just like trying to like destigmatize the idea of like first of all admitting that you make mistakes and just like be open about like my personal journey and like how I navigated all of this and what that's been all about. But yeah, I think that's all for today because I'm getting tired of talking now, but and and my nose is stuffed up, so that sucks. But um yeah, I hope that was helpful. And like, yeah, this is just, it's something to consider. Like, even if you're already on your journey of like self-growth and you're doing really well with it, when you see troubling things like a trainer you respect or a friend you respect doing something that you know is wrong to the horse, I think it's just important. You don't have to accept what they're doing to the horse. You can recognize it's wrong and it can bother you, but it doesn't need to be viewed so black and white where you go, wow, they're a terrible person. I can't associate with them whatsoever now. Obviously, depending on the degree of what they do, but like there, it's not so black and white. There's a lot of depth to all of these issues, especially when we're considering that this is an industry where there is so much misinformation that is spread on an industry-wide scale. And that misinformation makes it really, really hard for people to grow and move past what they've been taught. And it makes it very, very easy to stagnate and refuse growth because when you've been fed a ton of misinformation and suddenly you're being told that much of what you've learned is completely wrong and is in fact detrimental to your horse, that is a really hard thing to sit with. It's really hard to navigate, especially when you've put years of effort and blood, sweat, and tears into this industry and into becoming a better equestrian, and you don't want to hurt horses. It's really hard to navigate, and a lot of people choose to deny it because that's the easier approach. So it takes time. But a lot of people are open to change. There's people that I like, I'm like, this is why I stay optimistic because on my social channels, I've literally had people who have like, bullied me online for like years later come and be like I am so sorry and like I've changed the way I handle horses and I really appreciate you sharing your your story it's helped me and if you can dedicate that much time to negativity and then choose to like openly like hold yourself accountable by contacting the person you were negative to unreal amazing really good show that change is possible. So that's kind of where I stand with all that. And I hope that this was helpful. Like guilt is going to be a normal part of self-growth, especially when we're in a very toxic industry. 
but you don't have to let it consume you and you should also acknowledge like where the practices that you were taught to do with horses came from and why you started using them because generally speaking it wasn't our idea it was someone else's we were taught to do it because we were taught that it was like the only way the best way that we needed to do it for safety and we had that drilled into our head and we were not offered any outside sources so it's very very hard to learn how to do better in that circumstance so don't hold too much shame in yourself Hold yourself accountable, acknowledge your mistakes, and continue working on them so that you're making them less and less and less and you have better control of your emotions. But don't just drown yourself in sorrow and sadness and guilt to the point where you just like feel like you're the worst person ever and don't even want to try because trust me, a lot of us have been the worst person ever to our horses and it's possible to move past that and remedy the damage that you've done to horses through how you handle horses going forward in the future and that's what I've been trying to do for mine uh, so yeah that's kind of my story there's gonna be a more in-depth look at this and like in addition to like the trauma that I went through and how I think that's contributed to like my overall perception and like change and shift in horses because uh, I am releasing a book pretty soon so that book will be coming out in the next several weeks and I'm really excited. It's going to be coming out in time for Christmas time so I don't know if you want a stocking stuffer or whatever. Uh, I'm pretty excited about it so uh, that will be coming out probably in like I don't know. I Hopefully by the end of this month. I'll do it and also once we have like a date. Um, it is called The Other Side of Horsemanship. Um uh, and it's about my journey navigating my childhood trauma and then also my training practices and all that jazz. So please stay tuned for that. I'm really excited to share it with you. I've been working on it for a while and I hope everyone will like it and I hope this podcast resonated with people. Don't forget to check out my Patreon channel, patreon.com slash S-D-E-Q-U-U-S, uh, as well as my online shop, milestoneequestrian.ca. And those are the great ways to support me. I also have something called Buy Me a Coffee, which is kind of like Patreon, but it's not a subscription service. So that's buymeacoffee.com slash S-D-E-Q-U-U-S. E-Q-U-U-S, and that's also just for supporting the podcast and the other stuff. Anyways, I appreciate all your support. I hope that this helped with any internal guilt that you might be feeling, and I hope this resonates with people. Have a great day.